This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We got a big one today. We are reviewing the season two finale of Star Trek Picard and the series premiere of Strange New Worlds. So before we do that, we're going to start with a little bit of news, starting with an interview that I did with Alex Kurtzman on the, well, gold carpet. I was going to say red carpet, but it wasn't actually red at the Strange New Worlds premiere. What did he have to tell you? I tried to find out when they're going to announce the next, what the next show is going to be. And all he said was like, soon you'll have some information, but I can't give you a date yet. Um, and I, I asked if there were shows other than the Section 31 show and the Starfleet Academy show that are being worked on. And he said there are some things that are in conversation. But he confirmed that those are the two that are on deck. There's just other stuff. Yes. It happened. Yes. And then he said, we're looking beyond TV. We're also looking at things like games or podcasts. And so I asked, uh, did he mean dramas, like scripted podcasts, thinking of the one, you know, with um, with Seven and Rafi. And he said, possibly. Well, that was an audio book, I think. Well, that wasn't a book. That was a drama. That was not an audio book. I'm thinking about how it was distributed. So that was distributed as a traditional audio book or audio drama. It was a Simon & Schuster audio. but. I think he here was talking about scripted drama podcasts, which would be distributed via podcast. So it's on Apple and just where you get your all access podcast. I think that it's a great thing. Yeah, I do too. And then I did ask him if he's talking to Brian Robbins at all about the movies and if they're connecting the TV and the movie worlds. And for now, he said, no, there have not been any conversations like that. Yeah, it does not. Surprise me. Hopefully, eventually, someone will start thinking of this single company as a single company. But there is a little bit of movie news out there. Another actor has chimed in, uh, Zachary Quinto's in L.A. doing a play. And just like all the other actors, is like, well, I, I was a little surprised to hear about the news. <laughs> but what it sounds like from him and everyone else is no one was surprised and no one doesn't expect this not to have everyone expects this movie to happen including him the surprise was when jj said and we're gonna shoot it this year and he said i don't know about that so he hasn't seen a script in it so but paramount still has it on their schedule you know he's you know he said i'm excited i think it's gonna happen but you know maybe not this year but the problem is if they don't shoot it this year they're not going to make the christmas 2023 i mean in theory you could shoot it early next year and still make it but every day you go past november really adds more to the budget and they can't spend too much money right and then the the thing that zachary quinto says which makes a lot of sense is he's basically he said i don't have anything concrete he said until i get something concrete we're shooting this day here's a script get ready that he's in a wait and see pattern which makes total sense like you have to block out time for all these people all these very busy people We have some good news for global fans, specifically for fans in the UK, which is Paramount Plus is launching in the UK and Ireland on June 22nd. It's going to have Star Trek shows. It's going to have Strange New Worlds. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a few weeks. It's also going to be part of the Sky Cinema Pack, but we don't have the exact date on that. But you can just get it as a standalone thing like you do with your other streaming services. And it's coming to Italy, Germany, France, Switzerland, and Austria later this year. It's coming in June also to South Korea, but we don't have details on that. And India, 
2023, but there's no details on that yet. It's coming. We're going to review Picard shortly. We've got a tiny bit of Picard news for season three, really. Thanks to our friend Gates McFadden. She's part of the Next Generation reunion, which is part of season three. And she revealed that this week she finished her ADR, which is, you know, when they go back and they reloop some of your audio. I think the most interesting thing is she said said she had done the ADR for six episodes and also indicated there could be more. Just making it clear, she and the next gen people are not cameos. You know, they they are the cast for season three. This is not a, you know, a little part of the season. This is the season. Which is why we're all so excited. Um, and she said what she's seen looks awesome. So she saw, obviously she didn't see six episodes. She saw sections that she was doing dialogue for from those episodes. But she said it looked awesome and had lovely words about um, Terry Metalis. With all of these next generation actors in, you know, there's only so much room and so much money. So not everyone's going to go from season two to season three. But a couple of actors have already said, nope not in season three and that is allison pill who plays gerardi or borgatti borgatti and evan evagora is not gonna make it so we're gonna save our strange new world news to talk about right before we go into our review of that show but first let's talk about star trek picard let's say goodbye to season two of star trek picard by reviewing farewell i hate to say these words but i'm happy to say goodbye to it (laughs) Which is a sad thing. You know, the truth is, I want to like, I want to enjoy every experience. I want to like all these shows. I try to look at it as you often do with the goal, with the idea of what is it they're trying to do and have some appreciation for the attempt. But when I look back at the season and then this finale, it just, it feels like a, like a pretty big misfire. It was the best Star Trek Picard finale yet. Well, (laughs) <laughs> that's not saying a whole lot <laughs> uh, no, and it I, didn't have orchids which i missed i enjoyed yes. the orchids especially thinking about the way the season started with so much promise i mean if you remember at the beginning we're like oh my this is great and we really trust these guys and i still do trust terry yeah I, but he kind of stepped away for the latter half so he could work on season three and i think just shit went off the rails well not just went off the rails like stuff important plot points that were set up never connected so i mean like let's if you start you know with with the biggest one which is q set up this whole thing to make a point to picard and i still don't really understand why he went back in time why he chose this point in history why he why q tried to stop renee picard from doing what she did why he enlisted sung like none of those things tied back into the whole story the message was and this was said out loud is you get stuck in your past you're you know humans are like butterflies you get pinned to the wall your past pins you and you can't move forward which is honestly what the Deep Space Nine series premiere was about also. And so for whatever reason, Q decided the way to teach Picard this lesson was to monkey around with his past, but not really his past, his family's past, you know, because reasons. And there's a little block here where it's <laughs> opaque and I don't understand, but that is his logic of if I monkey with his past except his ancestors past, I will 
unleash his potential by getting him to finally let go of his past and move on to his future because I'm dying and I'm going to be alone and uh, where his Q wife and his Q kid are, who knows? Right. Um, And, (laughs) but he's dying alone and he doesn't want his favorite little mortal to die alone. Even though of course his favorite little mortal has plenty of friends who he considers family and he could go hang out with the Rikers anytime he wants. But well, also people who would drop everything and travel across the universe and take any risk for him. And Picard would do the same for them. I mean, this is not a man who lacks intimacy or deep relationships or deep friendships. And it's not a man who lived a life without romance. I mean, he didn't have a family and we know that was a regret of his. We've known that for quite some time. And that's what the season was about, was exploring that regret. Well, except they, they, they pinned it all on romance. Yes. When Q was laying all this out, he was basically saying that by Picard putting the key in the wall, he was accepting who he was, right? He's saying, that is my fate and I accept that. I am not going to change that. I'm not going to figure out a way to save my mom. And I was thinking, that's essentially tapestry, Right. So, yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I was thinking the exact same thing. He accepted that he's got an artificial heart and that's who he was. And that, you know, it made him a risk taker. Yada, yada, yada. Talon also laid it out that, you know, his pain was what guided him to save millions, but it's time for him to save himself. But why the time travel stuff, besides that it's fun to do time travel, except that they overstayed their welcome for sure. Who knows? Right. And even like separate from tapestry, even in all good things, at the end of all good things, he realizes, oh, I need to be with these people. Yes. So he ha- he had all that. I mean, he was a, a pretty perfect guy. Let's get into the episode more specifically, because I feel like they could have tied everything together more, except that this episode was trying to do too many things oh at my God. once, which of <laughs> course is annoying because they wasted so much time in the middle of the season. But this is both a season finale and a semi-series finale. It is at least a series finale for basically half the cast. So right. to be nice... They need to give each of these people who they're saying goodbye to both hero moments and special goodbyes. And so the more time they spend on that, the less time they could spend putting everything together. The thing that this was supposedly all about, Renee, you know, she's barely in it. (laughs) And it was resolved. I mean, I looked at the timing. 19 minutes in, Renee's mission went off and she was fine. You know what I was thinking? I was like, okay, fine. That was a little bit rushed, but at least we're going to get to the future quickly. But no, because, you know, we had to waste some more time to say goodbye to people and all that kind of stuff because they're leaving the show. It seems pretty clear that there's four people not coming back next year, which would be Agnes or or Gerardi, Rios, Issa Briones, and um, Elnor. Yeah. I mean, I thought there was some good stuff in that early stuff. There was some good action. But again, they should have done more with the kind of seven gang at the Soon compound. They just kind of broke in, took over the drones and blew one up. It just it just seemed too easy. And well, also, you know, you and I were talking last week about how Soong is very mustache twirling. And we're saying, you know, he'll tie them to the train track and announce his nefarious plans. Like he basically left it so they could figure out exactly why would you not just hide that behind the wall and not leave any clues? You know, it was just all cliched. And and then it turned into a video game. Could have been 
much better. You know, that was very rushed so that they could at least give some time for two things. It could have a good Talon and Renee scene and a good Talon and Picard scene, which is all we kind of got out of that opening sequence, really. Mm -hmm. And everything else had to kind of be rushed around it. I thought those two scenes were good. Sure. Like, were you at all fooled by Talon being? Yeah. Well, it was obvious that Renee was listening to her and believing what she said. And it was obvious that when she came running out by herself, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, that, but that was fine. You know, the whole point was she fooled soon, you know, and his mustache twirling. There was no extra interesting nuance. I feel bad because there was some great stuff earlier on for Brent. But in the last few episodes, it's like, forget it, you know. Yeah. No, even just the woman's giving him the tour and he's just turns into a big just starts acting like a big jerk, like he's not even trying to fool anybody anymore. How much he's... money did he give these people, by the way, to get access to the astronauts? I mean, seriously. That's... No, to be able to wander yeah. around unaccompanied. <laughs> so basically, once the ship leaves, that's the end of the first segment. Right. In my mind, the way I think time travel works, as soon as that ship takes off, they are now back in the prime timeline. Yeah. So that's the multiple timeline thing, but they're also doing predestination paradox stuff here where the holes in the wall were from the battle with the Borg from the day before, but apparently those stayed. So even though that was another, technically another timeline, those carried over all the people who died continued to be dead. Yeah. Like did, I want to know, did young Jean-Luc go down into the tunnels and see, Oh, there are human beings embedded in the brick. Yeah, presumably, because if there's the holes in the wall from the gun battle, there's got to be dead Borg in the wall. You know, I guess after a couple centuries, they faded. You know? mm. But, uh, you know, yes, it, it, that was stupid. You know, what we should have seen is some kind of rewriting, some kind of... F- some undoing, some... Re- yeah, there should have been something. And also, just to, to spell it out, I mean, I don't need to be handheld through everything, but there were very major things that that were just left for us to fill in the gaps. That was like kind of the weird thing of where I'm jumping forward a bit, but when seven says, I guess it worked question mark. Like, no, you tell, tell the audience it worked, show them it worked. Right. Damn season was about time travel and they're debating whether or not it worked or not. I mean, it's just like, they also have in terms of time travel, the same, I mean, this is a problem I've always had with the Terminator also, even though I really like that movie which is that before they go back, then Agnes can't be the Borg queen because she hasn't gone back yet. And it's the same with the Terminator. Like you can't send someone to be your dad because you're already born. Well, again, this is the predestination paradox thing, which, which Rios hinted at. He said, well, maybe I was always meant to be here. Maybe I was always. And when, when Guinan shows the picture later, that picture was always on his bar. So he was always destined to go back in the past. Well, that's the same problem. The picture is the same problem. I've always said this. They're never going to land this plane right. And they didn't. The time travel is all over the place. Let's not try to figure it out because it's, it's obvious they didn't. Yes. Yep. So let's not waste time on that. I guess. Right. I mean, what I would have liked to have seen is a whole lot more about this Borg Agnes as a Borg queen thing. Like that's something that was an interesting idea that we don't know anything about what happened in that time period. Well, because before we could even get to that, again, we should have spent more time on that. 
I, you know, maybe some people are going to love this, but there was a big chunk in the middle that was just pointless, which is the kind of the Soong B story. So you had Soong losing all his files. He gets upset. Then it's Corey erasing his files. You know, do we need to see this? She found shoes and money and clothes and a laptop. And then out of nowhere, it's Will Wheaton. He's back. And. Some people are going to lose their minds and be like, oh, my God, it's Will Wheaton. He's the Well, I think a lot of people will lose their minds. And honestly, like a part of me was very happy just for Will Wheaton as a person because I know he loves being part of this world. He's going to love that people are freaking out that he was in it. And I just I like him. So I thought, oh, well, that's nice for Will Wheaton. But it didn't feel like that was Wesley Crusher. It felt like it was Will Wheaton, host of The Ready Room. And you bring Will Wheaton back, but he only meets... Corey, there's no scene with him with John Luke. You know. That's the thing that everybody wanted to see. And I didn't like the tying together of the travelers and the supervisors. I'm like, meh, you know, like because the supervisor there was always a mystery about who because this someone is recruiting supervisors and sending them on missions, which was established in Assignment Earth. And I was always wondering, are they going to do that in this series? So I'm glad they revealed who they were and yeah it's a little too neat to tie them to the travelers and why did the travel i thought the travelers do like do they even need ships because he seems to beam up at the end they they beamed up and also like the the sense i got of the travelers was definitely a little more loose and ethereal than here is how history is supposed to go and we've decided what the right way is which is awfully presumptuous um and and we pick people and then they dedicate their lives. Like it doesn't feel like the same two groups because there is something about dedicating your whole life to one other person that is, it's it's a big deal and it's a certain type of person and it's a certain type of dedication that to me doesn't connect with what we know of travelers. You know, are they time cops or or right or are, or are they, they explorers it, of time and space? You know, are they interfering essentially? to make sure people don't make mistakes. So yeah, I mean, we could at least have learned a little bit more. The scene just felt a little flat to me. And again, it was really just to give Issa a nice goodbye because she's been part of the cast for two seasons. They really haven't known what to do with her because her character arc was essentially over at the end of season one. And I think they should have just not brought her on to season two at all. Right. And then we had what should have taken possibly more time is the kind of Picard and Q saying goodbye sequence and where they kind of explained everything. I mean, it was a, it was a good scene, but I felt like there should have been more, I don't know. just, I guess it's because there's no logic to how this all works. Um, and, and this is the bigger question. Picard was asking why, why me, you know, but there was, there's an element of, was this all worth it? And, this gets to the whole season of was this worth exploring and did they do a good job of it? The answer to the first one is maybe the answer to the second one is no, I think I I have to say, I think the answer to the first one was also no. I mean, we know there's a thing about Starfleet captains, which is that they often sacrifice having families. And Kirk was the first one who had similar regrets. Yeah. Right. And we've explored Picard's regrets about that. So that wasn't the right story to tell about Picard. And there are many things you could explore with Picard that would be very interesting. I mean, yeah, he was a perfect guy in many ways, but nobody's perfect. And he's a really interesting character. But that wasn't the thing 
that was unexplored about him. And it certainly didn't need all of this. And they didn't really tie it together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about Picard showed genuine emotion and affection for Q at the end there? Now, you know, it could have just been empathy for someone dying and, you you know, you don't want to be mean, but people died. Would John Luke Picard look to Q at this point and see him as someone he cared about that much? Because, you know, there was a hug and, you know, it was all very sweet. It just, I don't know. It sort of felt a little bit more like Patrick Stewart and John Delancey. Exactly. Exactly. And not because the acting was bad. Neither one of them is, I mean, they're both very excellent actors, so I have no complaints about the acting at all, but it just didn't, it didn't match their relationship and it didn't match what had just happened. And especially like Q was so angry at him when this started, he was enraged and none of that was really answered. Apparently simply putting that key in the wall is enough for Q for him to feel like his mission is complete. So he was angry that Picard was still stuck like that butterfly. And that showed him that he had unstuck himself. Well, initially he was angry because he kept, when he first was angry at him at the beginning and he was saying the road not taken and all this stuff. And he seemed to be angry at the decision he made on the stargazer, which again, given what was going on was in fact the correct decision at that time. You know, as I've joked before, because we've guessed that Agnes was the queen, you know, a lot of this could have been solved by her just taking off her helmet. Like the, and again, no explanation for that. Right. The helmet was just there to make everybody not know who it was. Yeah. It was just a plot device. It should have said plot device on the visor. <laughs> with a t-shirt to go with it. We're just dumping on this episode over and over again. I mean, I feel like the weird thing is it's not the worst episode of the season, first of all. That's at least we got that going for it. There was some good action at the beginning. There were these good moments, but it was just, it was just very much like a, they were just throwing the kitchen sink. There was no logic to it. No, I kept saying it was everything but the kitchen sink and then the kitchen sink. But I think the thing is like you take a show like this, which has an amazing cast. I like everyone in the cast. Some of them I love. You have gorgeous production design, beautiful tech technology and artistry going into the making of this but just the story just kept falling apart and it was you know they were they had things they wanted to do and they didn't care if it didn't make sense or how or if the way to get there didn't connect it was like trying to you know retrofit everything and then if it didn't fit it seemed fine i mean every once in a while this ep episode slowed down and gave you a moment. And sometimes those moments were good. Like, oh, so now we're going to slow down and set and Rafi's going to start rambling and seven is going to kiss her for actually the first time in the season. And then we get the swelling music is, and you, and I started to notice this, that there was, it was almost this pattern of this episode where this is their, you know, the, you know, their arc is now complete, you know, re, you know, here's, here's their arc. Here's, you know, Issa's arc. Here's, Rios's arc and you know and the connective tissue was never good but they they wanted to go through these beats one by one but you know I thought that that was a nice moment for sure the seven and Rafi yes that was nice but what I I, I liked it because I like the two of them as a couple very much um 
But I also was thinking in that brief time that they thought that they were staying, no one ever talked about the fact that Seven has the Borg stuff on it. Like those were discussions that would have been yeah. more interesting than what we had. Like, what are we going to do with the fact that you have this thing on your head and your hand that everybody's not going to understand what it is? Like those are, I mean, even Voyager had an episode where they've talked about what would we do if we were stuck in this time period? And then we got what we knew, the other thing we knew was coming, which was everyone ready to go. And Rio said, I'm right. I'm staying. The thing that, again, he talks, he, he constantly talks about himself as cap, the captain of La Serena, but he was in Starfleet. Then he left because of the horrible stuff. Then he was back in Starfleet. But you know, either in his nature, he associates himself more with his La Serena years, but he, he you know, all season long, he's just never acted like a Starfleet captain. And I know I keep on going on and on about this, but this was the last moment for him to at least say, you know, to someone, please take care of my crew. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I agree with you that what he was remembering as his life was him alone on La Serena with a lot of holograms that looked like him, which I'm glad he referenced that because that is a funny, was a definitely psychologically intriguing that that was his choice to live alone on a ship with a bunch of guys who look like him. But that isn't where we found him this season. And it never connect. You know, you're right. Yeah, he didn't think like a Starfleet captain. He didn't act like a Starfleet captain. The closest he came was when he was determined to go back and help Picard. When he said, I don't belong in this timeline. But this week he's like, well, maybe I do belong in this timeline. Right, because so. I like you and your son. Yeah, exactly. And cake. Yeah, things are happening here because they have to happen because they can't have everyone. And so now we finally jump to the future, um, back to the scene where we were Peter counting down and everything. And we always knew that this is coming and and everything kind of, you know, I was still waiting for something to surprise me. And I don't know. It's like nothing it, did. Yeah, it's <laughs> like he's going to stop the computer. That's Agnes. He's going to make seven the captain. Oh, that happened. OK. Yep. You know, it's like, uh, and also, I'm sure there was a first officer on that ship who would have liked to have had some involvement, but okay. So, well, <laughs> there was a little, he's like, well, you know, a lot about the Borg, so we're going to make you captain. Right. Even though that knowledge didn't, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> didn't really do anything, but no. And then Agnes, oh, I need the ships because there's this thread. And then we all knew that they were going to, it was going to succeed. There was no tension about whether or not that was going to work. This yeah. new threat that we just found out about in the two minutes before it was resolved. <laughs> it, it, was, it was rather like, oh my God, there's huge threat. Oh, it's over. Right. There's a galactic event. It's happening right now. We fixed it and we knew they were going to fix it. There was no tension or surprise about that. And then, well, it's we're going to be the guardian at the gate. Okay. I trust you. Um... Now things are getting really complicated. So, <laughs> so she's been a Borg for 400 years. And, but the, f and we don't know how that's affected any of the other Borg encounters that have existed. So we have to either assume it's been separate and everything else just went on as is, or it had major implications in history. Either this changes everything or this changes nothing. But if it changes nothing, what's the point? And I think it changes nothing. So everything that happened, happened. The, all the Borg that we've seen, all those, you know, the Queen and the two versions of the Queen, th that all that's the same. She's got her splinter group, kind of like 
you know, Lore and Hugh had their splinter group of the Borg. The fact that she needed Starfleet ships proves that, I guess, because you know the Borg Queen would have access to thousands of Borg cubes and right. and and wouldn't need any other ship. So I guess she's just got the one ship for her little ragtag nice Borg collective. Can we it watch would- that show? <laughs> well, you know what? I was thinking, why? You know, there was there was this was an opportunity for her to beam over some of her friendly Borg, right? And they'd come on board and we'd get to see them. And maybe Neelix was one of them or something. That would have been hilarious, you know, where he would have been like happy to be Borg. And that would be such a fascinating story. But they, I mean, it obviously wasn't thought about or planned or plotted or even built. I don't think in anyone's head. I think a lot of people are going to think she is the The Borg Borg queen. queen. And therefore, she has friendlied the Borg and changed all of the galaxy. And I just don't think that's... the Well, that changes Seven and that changes Janeway's life and it changes Data not being dead. And, it, you know, it's the implications are huge. Well, some people could say, well, maybe all of that happened, but now going forward, all Borg are friendly. And I don't think that's the case either. I think... She is who she is. She's going to hang out at this door, this gateway. This feels like it's something to do with season three, because it seems like why waste time on this? Right. So, I assumed it was some kind of, you know, galactic threat for season three. But the, the odd thing is we know she's not coming back because Allison Pill, spoiler alert, has said, I'm not in season three. Right. So if this gateway is back, she's no longer guarding it. So, but this is a hint that there's some threat to come through the door um, from the other side. And, uh, you know, Borgatti is there uh, waiting for it because she's asked to be part of the Federation. Which they kind of have to grant because they don't have a choice. Whereas they don't have a moment to say, so, you know, what have you been doing? And do we, because it's like a big deal to be in the Federation and they don't let tyrants in the Federation, for example, um, but they don't have time to check her credentials because they need her to be the guardian at the gates. So that's done. And now we just jump to Guinan's bar. And, you know, again, they're like, well, you know, it makes sense that they're going to bookend the season with Whoopi. It was nice to see her back. It was nice to see her back. But again, they tried to just throw it all in there. And she knows everything that's happened to to Rios. And even like the whole thing about saying like, oh, Ricardo's auntie Renee and I think, well, they never even met. How did they become buddies? Not a big deal, but just another hole. There was a, a big info dump there for sure. Yes. I mean, what's interesting is, and 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 we'll get into this a little later when we talk about Strange New Worlds, is both of these episodes are talking about the early 21st century. Guinan kind of lays out a somewhat nice sequence of events. They heal the ocean, they clean up the sky. Right. They live to ripe old ages. Rios is getting into bar fights and but still, you know, they're helping people out and and the kid grows up to become a scientist and you know, so you don't hear words like eugenics wars, <laughs> sec- civil war, you know, so which is it? Um and the irony is Akiva Goldsman wrote <laughs> both of these episodes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think the only way any of this makes sense is the Second Civil War and the Eugenics Wars and World War Three all have because the Vulcans are 
arriving in 39 years. We know that date is they didn't get that date wrong, right? Because that's right. that's a pretty important date. So like all the horrible stuff must have happened in like a, a two week period way at the end, you know, uh, and everything was fine up until then. That's that's the only way this all works out. I right. think. I don't know. I mean, I was fine with the bar scene. It was a nice goodbye uh, for Guinan. Um, again, it uses the, you know, I don't like predestination stuff as much, or if you're going to do it, there's better ways to do it, but I thought it was fine. And it was nice seeing her. They were trying to get a little bit of the all good things vibe as Picard goes over and gives uh, Elnor really doesn't get a nice goodbye. He gets a shot from Picard. Right. He's like, here's a shot. Goodbye. You're fired. Drink this terrible <laughs> thing. <laughs> you know, but still like, um, it still feels like, uh, I don't know. Something's missing from all this. Like where, you know, where's Starfleet? Don't they have to like talk to some admiral or something? I mean, it just feels like. To explain where's Rios, where's Agnes. Uh, we just have to assume all these things have happened. Right. Uh, before they showed up at the bar. Cause he went from the bar back home to say goodbye. Well, this is the thing about time travel things of like how much time has passed in this era. It, is it like the same day? Well, it was the same. They came back to the same moment on the Stargazer. Yes. So w- way at the beginning, he leaves on a shuttle, goes to the ship. The ship goes to the Borg or goes to the hole in space. The Borg show up. The ships blow up. That was all like one afternoon, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this that same day? Because her bags, they showed her like getting ready to leave but when did she fix the atrium? I guess she had some time. So maybe some time. Right. Well, there was time, you know, I, maybe he didn't go right to the bar after the ship. Okay. <laughs> she did fix the atrium up. So she fixed she- the atrium up and she packed a lot of stuff. And then <laughs> she was convinced to stay by pretty much half a sentence. And there were certain words missing from that sentence. Words like, right. and, stay and, with me. Yeah. I want you to stay. I love you versus just someone can give someone a second chance i just thought wow that's you know for if that's what the build-up was to we didn't get the payoff she made a big decision to leave and so it seemed awfully easy for her to change her mind i mean she made a big decision to leave when he said just stay and everything will be the same as it was and she said it can't be the same as it was and then she'd gone to all this trouble of doing all these things and packing up all her stuff so i think it would have taken more for him to show her that he's changed because he could a minute later just be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe not. Well, you know, this is one of those things of she knows him. There was a moment. I want to go back. There was a nice moment where Picard was talking to Q and there's something about uh, Patrick Stewart really did this well, where he just kind of relaxed and you could just see it where he's like, everything's fine now. Mm -hmm. I'm fine now. And he didn't say anything. But he, it was like the sense of relief. And I think he had that through the rest of the episode. So Laris can see that, that this is kind of a new Jean-Luc Picard, someone who's lost his burdens and is ready to move on into the future. I don't know if I'm being too nice, but I'm sure that's what they're going for. Well, yeah, I mean, I do think that's what they're going for, but I don't believe that they did it. Okay. <laughs> yes. It was obvious that's what they were going for, but they didn't show it. And and again, these are the moments that that should have been bigger. The big moments were too small, and the small moments were too big. Well, well said. Yeah, because this was the whole point of the season. 
apparently. Right. It should have been a little harder for him to show. He should have been able to show her in some other way. He should have said, look, there's 10 guys in the basement stuck in the wall (laughs) and they're all dead for you. Okay. So you better stick around. Right. There's a whole (laughs) lot of dead people who never had kids because of you. So you ain't going anywhere. We're going to give this a shot. But even again, it didn't have to be a long scene. She could have just looked at him and commented on his current state. If they didn't want to do a big schmaltzy kissing scene, which I understand that's pretty cliche. I mean, they haven't been avoiding cliches exactly, but I understand thinking, okay, let's, let's not do that. Yeah. They also didn't hug. And I was thinking, so seven and Rafi had their moment and the payoff was a kiss. Q and Picard, the payoff was a hug, right? That was there. Mm-hmm. So, um, although there were some other hugs in there, I think Rios got a few hugs. But this was the more where they were like staring at each other and holding hands. And that was their moment. So they wanted to, I think they wanted some variety of emotional payoffs. They made the choice to pull out and do the camera pulled out. And so yeah. they made the choice to do that from afar. And that was a moment where we actually needed to see them very close up because if it's about intimacy and if it's about communicating emotions to each other without the words, then we really need to see that they're seeing each other's faces and they chose instead to show them from far away. So let's talk about things, you know, because you know, there were things we liked. Are, you know, are there any other moments? Uh, one, one moment I liked. I may be reading into this, but when Laris or Talon, sorry, when Talon <laughs> is beaming to the launch site and Picard jumps in, it reminded me of Dr. Jillian Taylor. It wasn't as fun, yep. um, but I think they were going for something like that. Um, yeah. I thought that was that was a fun little moment. Do you have any fun moments that you liked? Any Any light moments, maybe? I wish I could say that I did, but I kind of don't. Yeah, like I said, great acting, beautiful acting by everybody. That's what I can offer. Beautiful production design, beautiful acting. The story they wanted to tell wasn't told the way that worked. Well, you liked the the seven scene, right? You know, and when seven goes, let it breathe, right? That was cute. I mean, they have great. Those it was, have great it was cute. Again, I felt they were they were washing over. There's some complexity to that relationship, and there's some complexity to what they've both gone through. And Rafi is a character that I love, who I felt was grossly underserved this season, and was mostly um, insecure, naggy girlfriend. Yes, which she's so sure. much more than that. She's such a fascinating character. She was so legit last season. Whenever she had issues with with John Luke, they were real issues that he needed to be confronted on. And she was very complicated. And she was very caring when it came to other people. She was very caring when it came to Rios, and she didn't get to do any of that. And so Seven solving all the problems by kissing her. I I'm glad they kissed, but I felt that they have so much more. They have potential to do so much more. Well, and they do because they're they're staying for next year. Right. I'm glad for that because I really like them both. The Project Con thing was possibly stupid and over the top. Here's one thing that they maybe the reason they were doing this was because the whole problem is when did the eugenics wars happen in the 90s? And on the folder, it said 1996. So maybe they're trying to rewrite history to say, there was a secret project that started in the 90s, but it doesn't come to fruition until the 2030s when 
presumably this little baby that was created, you know, genetic baby was created in the nineties grows up maybe and becomes Khan in 2035 or something like that. Maybe that's what they were going for there, but it was still, we didn't need it. We we didn't didn't need it. it. It That was was the bottom line was we, we didn't need it and it didn't really add anything to this season. And you know, the Wheaton thing was nice, but we didn't need it here. It wasted time here, and I would rather have seen him in season three. Right. I'm amazed that they managed to keep that secret. When I watched that, I couldn't I was I was so shocked to see him and thought, wow, how did they manage to keep that under wraps? It was still nice to see Will Wheaton. It I'm was. I'm not sure we saw Wesley Crusher. We didn't but... see Wesley, but we saw Will, <laughs> and I was happy for him. But wow, to make to make her a traveler without having to prove anything except I don't know what her well, qualifications I, I, were. <laughs> I assume there's massive training involved. In fact, Gary sure, Seven but it had, took a uh, while for Wesley to get there. <laughs> well, okay, so here's my headcanon. I think they were going for this: is travelers and supervisors aren't the same thing. So right, I right. think that the supervisors, also the watchers, work for the travelers. So he right. So the travelers are the top of that pyramid, and they have superpowers. And then they hire, they recruit people and give them technology and training. That implies so much of an infrastructure that I don't feel fits with who the travelers are. Yes, it it adds a level of bureaucracy to yes. these this kind of ethereal. Yes, you know thing uh, for sure maybe there's different kinds of travelers we we bet the more trippy kind of travelers um so. <laughs> it's just basically this whole season i've been asking you to fill in all the gaps yeah well that's and i think you've I get. you've you've given it a really good go but that isn't supposed to be how it works when you watch tv <laughs> so i would say this about the season which is it started great it had a lot of great moments but I'm not sure this was a trip worth taking. If I didn't know what I know about season three, I might be giving up on this show. But I don't think, I, I think it's just a whole new show in season three. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think that like season one, it just fell apart at the end. Well, I also think there's a reason you don't shoot two seasons back to back. Yeah, that could be it as well. Because you know, as this was being shot and stuff, there were people frantically getting ready to start the supposedly grand wonderful you know final goodbye for the next generation crew right it's hard to be in production and pre-production and post-production all at the same time which it sounds like that was happening and it was and it was too much and it's the same group of people fundamentally so then you have to lose one to this and move them to this and it it's it's not enough time these shows are very complicated to do well there was a at least one version of this season that they decided to change. Right. Mm -hmm. So whenever that happened, that meant more rewrites more and that pushed them closer to when, you know, so if they stuck with plan a now plan a may have sucked, you know, but if they stuck with plan a, then switching to -to back-to-back seasons might not have been a problem because there was a huge, remember there was a big gap in time called the pandemic. Right. So, they had a lot of time. Well, for writing specifically. Anyway, I think we've pretty much said everything we can say about the Star Trek Picard season two finale. I'm still, everything said, excited about season three. Same. 
I still liked a lot of season two, loved how it started. There were some great moments along the way, but I think overall the season just didn't add up. Nope, I agree. I think we should talk about an entirely different Star Trek show. Something that we are much happier about. Let's switch topics to Strange New Worlds. Before we get into the review of the series premiere, it's been a big week. Lori, you were at the gold carpet premiere in New York. Just, you know, what was that like? First of all, I loved seeing it with an audience. Anytime you can see Star Trek on a big screen with an audience, do it. They make these new shows to look gorgeous. So, I mean, as if I didn't already love the production design, but it looked beautiful on the big screen. We were um, in the room with the stars, which was great. You know, they got up and they made a little speech and talked about things and then they sat and watched it. And I have to say, like, you know, we just finished all the interviews. We talked to to everybody on the on the carpet. And when I talked to Ethan Peck, he was so clearly he's he's worried about how he's playing Spock. It's preoccupying him. And I felt like maybe he hadn't even seen full episodes yet, because when he came out of that screening, he had the biggest grin on his face and he just walked right over to Henry Lonzo Myers, the showrunner, and put his arms around him and said, thank you. That was great. (laughs) So that warmed my heart. Like, I just thought it was such a beautiful moment. And I was wishing we'd been sitting closer to them just because I would have loved to have heard their reactions. But it was a really exciting night. There were a lot of fans there, lots of them um, dressed for the occasion, Um, lots of outlets there covering what was going on. It was nice to see a lot of people. I got to spend some time with the Sci-Fi Sisters. Shout out to the Sci-Fi Sisters um, who did an episode of the Shuttle Pod for Trek Movie. But they were a lot of fun to spend time with. And Anson had personally invited them. This show is getting a lot of coverage in the media. It's got 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So the, the you know the, uh, this is the mainstream media. So it's like NPR, Variety, and Hollywood Reporter, and CNN are all giving this show praise, as we're about to do, and as my review on the site does as well. So it's not just the nerds who like the show. And I think for people who have maybe been away from Star Trek for a while, yeah, it's a great way to come back. Let's talk about some of these interviews. Actually, I want to you know, maybe back up a little bit. So we talked about Henry. Strangely, both of us talked to Henry this week. There's a lot of interviews out. Uh, we really want to get to the view. So you should just go to trekmovie.com, read all of our interviews, Lori's interviews, my interviews. There's a ton of them. A couple of highlights. It's a big thing about this episode was the T'Pring and, you know, how does this fit with Ponfar? And he basically says that, He's watched a mock time a ton of times and they are finding where they can go through gaps, you know? So, you know, and he says, look, DC Fontana didn't think that Vulcans only made it every seven years. Right. So they didn't, they get frisky um, in between. And, you know, we saw that, we see that, that the, 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 my words, not his, um, (laughs) Are you 80? <laughs> I guess. You know, he's a very nerdy guy. There's a lot of respect for the, the lore and everything, but obviously that they are finding ways to add things. It's weird. He's almost defensive. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, you're going beyond what they did on, say, the next generation when it comes to exploring characters because they're, they're doing more backstory you know, and, and he, he, he doesn't want to say that 
you know, that they're better that, you know, that they're doing more than those. He's just saying, well, you know, we're more contemporary show. Cause he said they learned a lot from those shows and they're using that structure of a focus on different characters, like episode two's of a focus on Ahura and that kind of thing. It's funny. Cause when I talked to him also, and I was trying to find out, um, you know, they talk about things they're taking from the original series. And I was asking like, what have you consciously decided to not take from there? He really, it made him a little uncomfortable at first. I could tell because he loves the original series and he didn't want me to think or our readers to think that he was dismissive of it. And I said to him, no, 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 don't worry. I love the original series. But there's certain things you wouldn't, you know, and he's kind of said, yeah, it's, it's, it's 2022, you know, there's just certain things that played in the sixties that don't play today, which right. is why Christine Chapel is a very different kind of character on the show than she on, on this show than she was on the original series. Right. A good piece of news for people with kids who want to watch the show with kids. He said, yes, you know, they, they are going out of their way to make it family friendly. He said, he just had this experience of rewatching DS nine with his kids and he wants the same experience for people watching the show. And I think that's great. Right. And his, his point was like, even if you have very grown up ideas and themes that you want to get across, kids can still watch it. I mean, there's nothing on, very little on Deep Space Nine that I would have ever hesitated to show my kids when they were small. He confirmed a couple little things. He confirmed that the Kirk that they have in season two is on the Farragut, which makes sense because that's kind of what we know about Kirk. And he describes them, him as a totally different Kirk because he's a younger Kirk. He's saying the whole point of a lot of the characters on the show is to show you a new side to them, a younger side to them in, in many of these cases, um, like Ahura, for example. You know, I'm still open-minded. I, I, I know you have some concerns about them using Kirk on this show in general. Well, I do, because also the, the history we got of who Kirk was as a young man was he was a really straight laced guy. And I, and I'm not always sure that, that people making these shows now, although I'm hoping Henry Alonzo Myers, you know, he clearly watched all the original series, but you know, Kelvin Kirk was, is not that guy at all, which is fine. He has a completely different history, but our Kirk was the stack of books with legs and was, was diligent and studious. And it sounds like kind of nerdy. And he'd been through a tragedy in his youth. So I I'm interested in all those things playing in. I'm not interested in crazy, reckless swashbuckling Kirk. That wasn't really the Kirk that was there. Let's talk about a couple of the other highlights from your interviews from the gold carpet. Uh, you had a fun one where you started talking to Anson and then Rebecca decided to be part of your interview. Yeah. She just walked over and stuck her chin on his shoulder, which was adorable. And then I was like, great, let's talk to both of you at the same time then because <laughs> once they were there they were there but he talked about how he captain pike is going to be he thought fun was one of the important qualities of his because i said we know he's going through this turmoil but what else are you exploring and he said fun was the big one and they both talked about having uh big character arcs sort of not just across season one but things that will carry into season two she mentioned again this secret we really don't get it much of Una in the series premiere, but coming up, we'll learn this big secret and it's going to apparently be part of her character through season one and into season two. The thing that intrigued me that he said, he talked about how the show's taking big swings. They are trying different things. They're encouraging directors to be different. 
I think we've seen that from the first five episodes, which both both of us watched. There are a few big swings here and there, and I like that. I like the show is taking risks and isn't being too cautious. These don't think don't always work. There's jokes that don't land here and there. There's certain things that I I think are a bit too much here and there. But the, I, I admire the attempt. I guess is my point. Yeah, so do I. And I like that there. I want to see different things. You know, I feel like all the classic series um, all did that. They had episodes that had different tones from others. I hope they not just emulate that, but they go for genres that none of the shows did before. So it reminds me a little bit of Short Treks because Short Treks was very experimental in that way. And it didn't always work, but they were trying things. Right. I appreciated the effort. I enjoyed a lot of the Short Treks. And I thought having the ones I didn't like as much was worth it to get the ones that I really did like. And that took big, definitely big swings, big creative leaps and trying other things. And they also both talked about filming with Frakes, with Jonathan Frakes, who's in Toronto while we were doing all this. Um, And basically, I asked if there was singing on set. Of course, they're singing on set and they were doing imitations of him. And it was <laughs> it was just very fun. All you have to do is mention Jonathan Frakes to any of the actors and they just light up. So I think by now, because I think they said he was doing seven, that's probably wrapped up by now. So there's three more to do. They're going to be done by June. Yeah. I mean, the other interview that's up on the site right now was with Christina Chong, who plays La'an Noonien Singh. And she was, you know, she's so uptight on the show. She's wound up very tightly. And then in person, she's just this bubbly, vivacious, high energy, warm, fun person. Like I get the sense that if you are sitting next to her, like in a bar, you just have the best time. Um, <laughs> and she talked about, I mean, she was, she talked a little bit about being burdened with her character, being burdened by her name and her family's history and re- and said she related it to when she was bullied as a kid for being Chinese. She said she had a really hard time, but where she really lit up was when I asked her if she had a favorite episode and she said episode eight, because her dog got to be in it, <laughs> <laughs> which she was very excited about. And she also, you know, I asked her about, um, she's, she's done a lot of action work. And so she said, yeah, they didn't, need to train her at all for action scenes or fight scenes, but she did get phaser training. And then she had no idea what to do with the tricorder and had to go to Ethan Peck for help. <laughs> what is this box? Yeah. What um, do I do? What do I point it at things? What do I do? <laughs> so I'm sure it was nice for him to feel like the expert. You know, that reminds me of my interview with Henry. One of the things they're doing on this show is using tech that we've seen before tricorders, communicators, transporters, and but they'll do something that we've never seen it done before, and I'm okay with that. I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah, you know, he 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 said, yeah, they talk about that, and they're like, we want to just because no one's ever done it before doesn't mean it doesn't do it. Right, it could have been doing it all along, and we just didn't see it do those things. So what we still have going up, um, I inter- I talked to Jess Bush, Bruce Horrocks, uh, Sally Rose Gooding, Ethan Peck, Melissa Navia. Oh, and and, uh, Babs, Dr. Mbenga also. So all of those will go up, I'm sure, before our next podcast. All right. So are you ready to review the very first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? More than ready. (laughs) All right. Why don't you go first with your big picture overview? It's a breath of fresh air. It's a whole new old thing, I guess. It feels very familiar as promised. 
I loved it. You know, there's issues, which we'll get into, obviously. As we always do. I think, and and, and we've seen more episodes, so we can kind of say, the the character dimension, which, and this isn't a bad thing, but, um, you know, they always talked about, yes, it's an episodic show, so it's Planet of the Week, and then we do serialized character stuff. And that always kind of sounded like a little character stuff on the side, but... This show really does spend a lot of time and effort with the characters, which I think is a good thing. So, this is, and it's an ensemble show, so it's not just going to be the big three. I mean, they don't even get to the alien planet until halfway through the episode. Right. And they leave pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> they kind of get in, get out, and get back to talking about, you know, Pike's issues. But I'm fine with that. I think in other in other episodes there will be more plot stuff and more alien planet stuff. This episode they really wanted you to meet the characters, get to understand them, but also get to understand their arcs, which I liked. And they kind of set up especially Spock's arc, Pike's arc, and Laon's arc. I liked it, but that was a surprise to me how much focus the characters got. Well, they had to cover a lot in this first episode because they the it's the characters that'll hook you in. And I thought that they did it in a really good way because it wasn't pause and stop. It was all, everything flowed. So I really felt, I, I enjoyed it very, very much. And I loved the tone of the whole, I think they got the, they nailed the tone a hundred percent. And not, a, they didn't just introduce us to the characters in a way that grabbed me and intrigued me, but the dynamics between them are already very interesting. Lots of yeah. little pairings and groups and some people who have a history and some people who are meeting for the first time. And all of those little scenes were strong and resonant. And I also thought there were a lot of great little moments and conversations between people that I found very interesting that I think they'll build on. And the story was a good one. Yeah, I mean, it was a simple first contact gone wrong story. But which which I think is a good way to introduce the show because we're probably expecting some new fans and the concept of this a first contact with a species that is quote a lot like us I think maybe helps things out right as much as this show is being anticipated by Star Trek fans they are for sure also hoping it will be an entry point and I think it can be I think it can really serve to do that you have to obviously be somewhat interested in Star Trek. And the concept of a sci-fi show and ex an exploration show. And I think this is delivering on that. And you certainly don't need to know everything about the, or really anything about the original series. You could walk in knowing nothing. And in fact, in some ways, it might serve you better because, of course, for people like us, there are things that stop us in our tracks a little bit sometimes, certain moments. And so if you walked in knowing nothing, I don't think you'd have any issues. One, I shouldn't call this a surprise, but I think it will be a surprise to some people is that this show's not just kind of is not forgetting that it was born from Discovery. There were a lot of references to Discovery, um, including a reference to Michael. The whole plot obviously revolved around the season finale and of, of the season two finale of Discovery, mm -hmm. which is when we last saw these people and... Pike can't even tell his girlfriend what happened about it. 
if you did if you didn't watch Discovery, you might have been a little lost. They did have some flashbacks they threw in to kind yeah. of get that, you I don't going. know that that helped so much. <laughs> you know, but hey, if you're watching this on Paramount Plus, maybe you could watch the Boreth episode where Pike sees this future and the um and the season two finale that might help you a little bit understand this episode because this is not going to be the last time they talk about Discovery, by the way, on the show. So right. It's a prequel to TOS and a sequel to to Discovery Season 2. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Discovery characters. And I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. There's definitely room for it. So let's talk about let's talk about Captain Pike for a moment. I want to start with Pike because I loved the way that they are playing him that Anson is playing him and that he's being written right now as this guy who at the very beginning, you know, he's got his beard and his hair and he's living in his beautiful house in Montana. And that not only do we immediately get a sense of everything that's going on with him and what he's, that he's struggling with something that he's very undecided about his future in Starfleet and as a captain. But I thought that that, after the beautifully made breakfast in the beautiful house, which was <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> that scene when he's on the horse and he's galloping through the snow and the shuttle comes flying over, stirs up all the snow, upsets the horse and then lands in front of him. I love that scene so much. One, because it's visually beautiful. I thought it was breathtaking and I got to see it on the big screen this past weekend. It was gorgeous. But it's also so symbolic of everything that's going on that the shuttle stirs it up, that the shuttle is in his path. Like all of that was so well done and just, I thought, anchored me in Pike 100%. His house is very low tech for the 23rd century. He had windmills to keep his power going, I guess. So yeah, so they, you know, the, the Starfleet, he was trying to keep the world away, the modern world away. And retreat in a way into the past because yeah he had a tv I, but he was, was watching an old movie right so i thought that was retreat but i thought that it also wasn't it was also anchoring in what is life at its basic like when you're out in the snow on a horse that is sort of anchoring yourself to nature and stripping away the other layers yeah Although we don't know the name of the horse. Was know, it Tango it, or was it the other one? <laughs> it would have been nice if he'd said the name. He also seemed very close to that horse. Like when they were having that conversation for a minute, I thought he was going to, you know, they were going to have a kiss, him and the horse. Because he was like rubbing up against its face. But I got it. Again, it was, you know, it was a funny moment. But it was it was literal and symbolic at the same time. You know, it, I mean, certainly it's kind of a movie cliche of the retired guy and the you know the person comes to the at, you know the middle of nowhere to recruit them back for one last job he hadn't decided to rejoin starfleet certainly at, you know uh, admiral april had to order him on the mission you know after asking nicely a few times right um, was like let's make it clear who's in charge here yes <laughs> so then when pike goes back to the ship and I, I felt like there's a little motion picture tribute in there when he's checking out the ship for the first time. But when he's back on there, I also really liked his dynamic with his crew because of the way I felt that the way he spoke to each person, especially when it was a one on one conversation, which I liked best, was that he was really listening to them. 
and responding in a way that showed that he's very, very honed in on what they're saying and where they're coming from. Yeah, he wasn't bringing his problems to them, although he did talk to Spock about it. And that was a great conversation. I really like that conversation. And then when when Laan comes in at the very end, I mean, we'll jump around a little bit, but she says, I should have told you. And his response is, tell me now. And I just thought that's a captain. It's a great captain. So she had an arc in this episode as well. It, you know, it was a little confusing at the end of of like it seemed to be a big deal that she was joining the ship. So I guess she was only on temporary assignment. Yes. While Una was away. Right. And so it was, you know, kind of but they never really made that clear. Like I thought she was already assigned as the security officer and was just acting as the first officer, but they should have made it clear it was temporary at the beginning. The whole her whole assignment was temporary, right? Um, to be on the ship at all, to pay off that moment at the end when she decides, okay, I'll stay, or he right. decides. Oh, and he makes the yeah, he makes the offer. You know, but I like you know he's 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 homespun. He has these like weird homespun phrases that he has to explain to people. I think he's you know he's different than other Star Trek captains. He he has his own style of command, his own issues, and that's you know that's what's important is that. He's a fully realized character that we want to follow, but he's not one dimensional. He he is fully three dimensional and we can already see where his early arc is for this season. And we know that there'll be more arcs as we go along for him. And I think he inspires great confidence. And uh, to me, that streak of darkness that he has right now helps. I mean, we can see that in the way I think Uhura is very much a POV character for people who are kind of new to this. And, you know, when he gives his speech at the end and she goes, cool, you know, because yeah. it was cool. The audience at the screening cheered for cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about Spock because he had some interesting things going on here. I think a lot of fans are going to talk about, you know, so we so we meet Spock on Vulcan. So, again, a lot like the motion picture where Spock is on Vulcan, uh, except this time he's not getting rid of all of his, his emotions. He's uh, indulging in them in a way. He's on a date with T'Pring. He is. They had this weird little query response thing. And, I, you know, for people who are very precise with language to say query, and then Vulcans are so formal. I was like, that's not a query. Um, so that <laughs> kind of bothered me in a minor, in a tiny little way. But my... I did feel it's it's an interesting question how they handle this to pring thing. <laughs> well, let's let's remove canon for this for the, just for a moment. What I like about this is because everyone's like the whole thing about Spock is he's battling over his human and his Vulcan side. What this shows is a whole different battle, but it's almost related, which is a battle. And he talks about it, about how matrimony and duty can complement each other, right? But this is his struggle now of how is he going to balance his home it's life? work-life work balance, baby. We're yeah. all struggling with it. <laughs> and, and, you know, because you can already sense to Pring's like not cool with it. And so getting back to canon, we could now see years later how she's just basically totally cold fish on him because he, as we will, I assume he's going to eventually choose duty over matrimony and she's not going to be cool with that. Right. 
So I think that I, you know, at like at first I'm like, there's too much to bring, and what you know, why is she here? And and then I'm like, no, this is actually I'm cool with this because it's a new way to explore the struggle with Spock. Here's what I did and did not like about it. What I did like, I mean, if you look at a mock time, that whole I assume that that whole ritual was because Vulcans are trying to suppress their their violent, intense emotions. So they created this elaborate ritual to make it all very logical and have rules and all of that. So, but then this kind of courtship doesn't seem to fit that. Like I, you know, Spock was so uptight and he didn't, they're like, it's the birds and the bees. And he, you know, in original series, and it was a difficult subject for him. And yet here Spock is perfectly happy to just stand there shirtless. And to Pring says he's, you know, he's not naked, but he's about to be. Yeah, T'Pring is a little too... Casual. Yeah, she calls Pike Chris. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I wasn't cool with that. I'm just not... You know, it just doesn't... It doesn't bother me that T'Pring is a character as much as I thought it would be. Some of the execution of this, and it was a little too flirty, a little too... A little not Vulcan enough, I would say. And especially given, you know, if we... Obviously, this is headed towards that conflict that you talked about. And so she should be more Vulcan. And I felt like she really wasn't. I mean, she didn't speak like a Vulcan. Yeah. So to me, those things, I wish, I feel like they could have still done what they wanted to do. And I would have liked it if their conversation had been more in keeping with, you know, I think it's not just Spock, it's Tuvok too. Like I try to imagine all these, this culture and they're definitely leaning more into sort of enterprise style Vulcans, I would say. And even those I'm weren't not sure. quite like that. No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't say that. They were quick to anger, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I, I wouldn't go that far. But I see. You know. But yeah, I see where you're going. You know, this was something I was loathing, and now I'm open to it. But there's problems. But it's not horrible. I guess is my point. <laughs> you know, and uh, and and I, I I get what they're trying to do. It didn't fully execute, but there was some good stuff in here, too. Um, I thought Vulcan looked great, by the way. And I think they're really, you know, as a side note, they are using the AR wall better on this show than they were on Discovery, probably because they learned a lot on Discovery. Right, right. But it's just getting better and better. I'm a little less sold. I, I still kind of wish they hadn't done the T'Pring thing. and But had they executed it better, I wouldn't mind so much. I mean, it's an interesting choice. That's for sure. And I loved Spock otherwise. Like, I really liked his conversation with the captain um, when he went in to talk to him and, about how he should handle knowing about his own death. And how he's quintessentially a captain and how in, in yes. the end this will make him a better captain. I think we should, you know, talk a little bit about each character. The only one we didn't get time with, real time with yet, was um, Hammer, who arrived at the very end. I liked the way... We didn't learn a lot about the inner lives of Mabenga and Chapel, but we got to see them in action. They have a fun dynamic with each other. There's a relationship between the captain and Mabenga already. Chapel's being introduced as I notices they said she's a civilian, actually, even though she's in uniform. So she's a civilian transfer. You know, I think she's a, I mean, she had a lot of fun stuff to do, the whole chase on the ship and 
she's just really bright and dynamic and quirky and funny and a great character. Yeah, I don't get why she's Chapel necessarily, but she's a great character. She's fun to watch. The actress is having a good time. I like all the aspects of her personality that I saw. I don't know that I'll ever really be able to connect her to the nurse chapel that we know, but um, I can ignore that with her for some reason, because she's so interesting. I liked her little moment with La'an when La'an turns down the sedative and she just says, hang in there, sister. And that we got to see um, Chapel and Uhura meeting for the first time. And the way they met was funny because she has to beam out of the bridge. And and, well, and that was a great because every character kind of got a little taste of why they're great. And Uhura's taste of great was she was able to calm down the alien in the turbo lift by talking to him about sports. And she didn't even have to know. No one alerted her that this was going on. But she just knew. And that's the other thing is every single person we saw is great at what they do. No one's screwing up. No one's making stupid decisions. Although, you know who made the dumbest decision in this entire thing? Who? Is is probably Admiral April or whoever sent a ship with three people to do first contact on their own. I'm like, what? First of all, no offense. She's a lieutenant commander commanding a tiny ship with one to sell. (laughs) To do a first contact. It's like a bit, this is a, you send a whole ship and you send diplomats and you know, you, it just, that was because I thought, well, maybe they weren't supposed to go down to the planet. Like maybe they were just supposed to scout, but that they said, no, that the probe did the scouting. They were sent to do the first contact. They showed up and they beamed down. Then they got into a fight because the people weren't ready to meet aliens. Yeah. That was my only sad Think number one, I didn't like that her intro was her just being needing rescuing. I'm not morally objecting to it. I'm just saying that wasn't to me a great character. That wasn't the greatest intro. I mean, we've seen her before, but I'm looking forward to seeing her do more things. But they gave her the opening inspiring narration about first contacts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I prefer a more traditional captain's log to waxing philosophical, but okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, I guess, one of the big differences between Old Trek and New Trek. Like, Old Trek was just more here's the planet, here's the start date, here's where we're going, here's where we we're got, going there, here's the mission. We, we, got, we got a captain's log somewhere in there, and we did get a start date. It was 1739.12, in case any of you guys are interested. <laughs> so, I was fine with that. It was just a kind of the setup of that, of the these guys. Okay, let's talk about the plot for a second. I'm going to switch to the plot because there's sure. a couple of things. That, um, so it was a simple idea of a first contact going bad and how they had to come in and teach the stupid aliens how to, you know, not destroy each other. Classic Star Trek, right? To, yep. you know, like we're going to show up because we know better and you're idiots, which, you know, is basically half the episodes of Star Trek. And... So, you know, I'm fine with that, but there's, you know, and, and the way they tied it into discovery was clever, you know, but then you have to think, okay, so this system was within a light year of that battle and no one thought to check it out before that. Okay. So that's questionable. And then they were able to, through their telescopes, observe spaceships and then figure out how to create matter, antimatter reactors, which is dubious. And then they kept on calling what they were building a, quote, warp bomb, which makes 
and they said, Spock said, whenever someone creates warp technology, it's always used for a drive. My point is like, once you get to be able to create significant quantities of antimatter, that's a bomb, right? You know, you don't, it seems to me that most civilizations, once they figured out antimatter, would figure out it has a destructive power before they figure out how it can also help you fly faster than the speed of light. Because using antimatter to blow someone up is kind of easy. Right. You just combine it with matter and blow up their cities. I just thought that was, I just, I don't like the word warp bomb. I was not a fan of that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's hope they don't use it again. <laughs> Speaking of words that confused me, Spock talked about the AI being upgraded on the ship. I'm I'm not sure if this is going to come into play later because AI has been a hot topic in Star Trek and outside of Star Trek. And they've always talked about the ship's computer, but they mentioned the AI and it was right after the battle with an AI. So I don't know if this is like... A minor thing I noticed or uh, something they're dropping in. Yeah, I remembered him saying the scanners had been upgraded, but I didn't remember the line about the AI, actually. It was all in there as he was briefing about, you know, the state of the ship, as it were. Oh, and that and was that in that first part where Pike goes, no, I'm asking how you are. Exactly. It was okay. in that lit. And when he said the, uh, well, and, and when he said, oh, by the way, Lieutenant Kirk isn't on board. Right. And, and Who you like, requested. Who you requested, and I'm sure everyone in the audience is like, uh, what, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. I was too distracted. <laughs> and, and like, it, you know, I immediately rewound. I'm sure most people would like, huh? Did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> Are they really going to do it? And then at the end of the episode, they're like, ah, oh, psych. It's his brother. Fake out mustache joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it seemed like. A setup for a joke, you know, but he's gonna he's on the ship, you know. It wasn't yep. just that scene. We know so. he, we know he'll be back. So Yeah, and then they did kind of blow it by having him call him Sam. I mean, I'm, you know, not to be such a nitpicker, but that it was a big deal that only our James T. Kirk called him Sam. Only you call him Sam. We all remember that line. The mustache thing was funny, and I totally was with them on that. I thought it was funny that they mentioned it um, because of that famous shot of William Shatner with the mustache <laughs> playing his brother, which is so good. Like, it was funny, but I'm not sure that it But why do they did. need yeah, they a need Lieutenant it. Kirk on the ship at all is they the don't. question. They don't. They, he, he could have been Lieutenant anything. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed... Like a setup for, unless this is how they're going to somehow tie, because we know that James T. Kirk is going to be part of season two, and maybe this is all an elaborate setup to lead us to that. Um, he's he's going to be part of season two, and he's not in charge in season two. I'm just um, blocking that out of my mind for now. It's coming. Kirk, he, James no. T. is out there. Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> muted. Conversation muted. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just focus on what we have in front of us, which yeah, is a the, strong show with great characters. Yeah. <laughs> there was a few other, you know, Kyle is back. He, he got a little hero moment. Everyone got a little hero moment. Mm -hmm. We got some interesting new tech as well that I didn't object to at all. One was being able to have an emergency call to the communicator while it's sitting there. 
Yeah, it's it's which, like an Alexa. It makes sense. Yes, right? which I thought made sense. I was like, oh, they couldn't do that before. But you know what? Like, that makes sense. And I thought it was pretty impressive to um, put the clothing in the transporter buffer. Yes. That's new. And then the biggest one was, I thought this was a cool thing, especially cool, was figuring out how to beam the medication into Spock's body. Another one was how you could plug the communicator into a little, because let's face it, oh, TOS, right. TOS communicators, they aren't as cool as a smartphone, right? Like you can't see the person, there's no video function. So no, except and, the flip action makes them cooler. Now you could add the video function with this giant box. So uh, Right. No, it's what do you do when we all have a thing in our hand that's more powerful than a tricorder and a communicator? Yeah. So I thought they did a nice job of upgrading that tech and coming up with some cool new ideas. I mean, but this is the challenge of any Star Trek show. And they all run into this of, you know, because technical solutions are always part of Star Trek. And it's like, how do you come up with something new? Because, you know, in this one, this is the first time they've used this method, at least, to change someone to create a disguise, which, of course, is standard Star Trek to create a disguise. Right. Um, but it's different than how McCoy used to do it, perhaps. With McCoy, it was purely cosmetic. So it was more like plastic surgery than altering someone's genome. And it did create, I loved the elevator scene, because, of course, in all societies, on all <laughs> planets, there's always Muzak. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody always thinks the captain's hot. <laughs> right. And then you had the Spock's ear going crazy. Which looked great. That was cool. All of that middle part, there was a really well orchestrated thing where they were going to the planet and di different parts of the ship. It was really well edited and cut together to give everyone little moments and, you know, integrate what's happening with the away team and what's happening. Sorry, landing party um, and what's happening on the ship, I thought was all very well done. Yeah, so did I. And felt very, it felt like an adventure. It moved along really quickly and it felt like Star Trek. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we have nitpicks here and there, but this never took you out and goes, this isn't Star Trek. It was all very Star Trek. And in fact, one of the very Star Trek things is a little groany, but it's not the first time, which is I thought. The solution to this, which, again, was fine of, like, teaching these people how they're going down a path of destruction. But it was very on the nose. It wasn't exactly an allegory. He's like, this is the United States, and the United States had a second <laughs> civil war, and here's some video from CNN. And it just was a little – I mean, maybe this is to help new viewers, and they're trying to connect to today – yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought. I mean, the one thing I, I did like, there was a moment where he said to Spock earlier, are you familiar with the United States? And I thought that's great because old Star Trek always just assumed that the United States was still the most important thing that everybody always knew about. And so, and then of course, yeah, when he's, when he's showing video to the planet, well, they showed Paris and they, you know, they showed some different places. Yes, but. Uh, but it was um, America centric for sure. Well, they said there was another civil war, which is a new piece of canon, right? So they're saying yep. the United States evolved or devolved right. into another civil war. That civil war became the eugenics war. Then that became World War Three. So this is now our new sequence of events, right? Right? Because they've moved, they've officially moved the eugenics wars. Because we've talked about this on the pod before of how, you know, somehow it didn't happen in the 90s. So they've now moved it. Well, right. and- the Picard season finale also moved it, if you noticed, because of the, you know, 
Yeah. Oh, I noticed. (laughs) So, uh, so now it's in the, which I'm fine with actually, but they've introduced this concept of a second civil war, but then they also kind of implied that the second civil war grows out of our current left, right, black lives matter versus stop the steel rally culture that we're living in. Look, as much as I wish that they didn't always, that they didn't point to right now, I, I don't disagree that that's a possibility. You know, it's thought provoking. Could we evolve into a full on civil war? And I guess that's the point that they're going for. Right. And I, you know, again, I I don't like when they do it, but it's it's something I think about a lot and worry about a lot. So it makes sense that they're thinking about it and worrying about it as well. I think people who feel very active on either one of those sides may feel like the show is pointing to them and saying, you're good. You're about to start the eugenics wars and lead us out to world war three. But they, they didn't pick a side so much. Mm. They just sort of showed, I mean, there was like a mo- one little clip that was d- maybe more pointed. I, th- I can't I, believe I th- I'm defending I, this because it irritated me a lot when I first saw it. I, I think they're picking a side. But uh, <laughs> maybe I like it because they're <laughs> picking my side. <laughs> you know, it's a debate worth having, but it's a little I think some people are going to notice it and may not like it. I would have liked it less on the nose, but I don't disagree with what they were saying. It, what this does tie into, which I think is what they did is they nicely wove in Pike's arc with the message of this planet, which is all about your fate versus your choices Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was all very well done. And they also tied into the idealism of the whole thing by having a lot of people on the crew talk about why they joined Starfleet, which is yeah. always something that interests me, what it means to them. And it's part of what hooked me on the original series in the first place. And then dealing with the people on the planet who are now looking at joining the Federation. Although, you know, they are not ready to join the federation no and we've had a lot of ones where people were considered should we let these people join the federation they're just like oh if you want to join that'd be great but <laughs> but i look at it as this is the earlier days of that whereas it was later more in the next generation era where they would be discussing with people whether or not they felt they should join yes well and, and now we've learned that thanks to this whole encounter they call it the prime directive that's right another another That'll never stick. They were having some fun, I think, with uh, stuff like that, for sure. There was a few things that landed. A few things, like there was a moment where Pike turns to her or Spock and he says, I'm all yours. And I don't know. Did you think that was funny? I thought that landed with a bit of a thud back here in my homestead. Yeah. Well, when I was watching by myself, it didn't do anything for me. But I will say it got a good chuckle in the in the screening. You know, humor is relative, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> sure. And there's also a difference between watching it alone and watching it with people. That but I thought sense. there was good good amount of humor in the in the episode. Not too much. But, yeah. You know, the, it's all part of this lighter theme, which I think is is good. And And there was just a lot of, you know, starship porn, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. I would to start off a show, and we got another starship. Speaking of uh, last week, we we're talking about how Enterprise fans never get anything, and they it got was, the Archer. Even though the Archer only gets one to sell. No, <laughs> but you know the production design is outstanding. Oh yeah, 
I didn't mind the fake engineering because the engineering is totally created through CGI or part of it is at least. I think the engine part is real and then everything everything behind that is through the AR wall technology, right. which means every time they go to the engineering set that means they've got to do the they've got to go to the air wall and you know just as a logistics thing the ar wall is not on their stages they have to traipse across toronto to these other stages they rent for the ar wall so it's and it's not cheap to use you know every time you say let's talk to hammer and engineering someone says okay well there's a hundred thousand dollars yeah I suspect they probably do them in a chunk. Like they, do I was hem- going to say they group them so that they can do it all at one time. For me, I would say this ship is a little glowier than I would like it to be. I'm not glowier? a fan of all the glow. You mean on the inside or the outside? Inside. Everything's very glowy on the inside. Well, it's very bright. I mean, the the, the, the lighting. It's it's strong lighting. And I guess for me, because I always, when I looked at the Enter- the original Enterprise, original series, and Enterprise Next Generation, and Voyager, I always felt like I wanted to go be in those places. And these, this is just a little too glowy that I feel like I'd be squinting a lot. Yes, it it definitely has that new ship smell because, yeah. you know, <laughs> they just pulled it out of space dock and it, everything is so shiny. I mean, w- what is very homey is that, you know, Pike's quarters, by the way, in general, everything is kind of just bigger than you're used to. So just, yes. get, used, just get used to that. Um, they've got the money to spend. So this the bridge ship, is huge. The, the bridge actually isn't, I mean, relative to Kirk's quarters on TOS to Pike's quarters, the bridge is a little bit bigger. Pike's quarters are crazy Gigantic. huge. Engineering is crazy huge, but I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. They're like, why should we restrict ourselves to the budgets and what they had on, you know, in the 1960s, we're going, you know, we could make a big set. Let's make a big set. Because this ship, because when you think of the motion picture, that all this, the sets were bigger. I remember the, you know, the huge scene, you know, where he's addressing the whole crew. Mm-hmm. It's a big ship, and they're they're trying to give you a sense that this is a big ship. I mean, Pike's quarters are like just the swing in his bachelor pad. It, it's great. Yeah, it's nice. You get more of that in future episodes. By the way, he has little get-togethers. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about his conversation with Laan which I thought was so great when she says not believing you're going to die is what gets you killed. And it's so it strikes him and he has her repeat it. And I love that moment where she says, do you know what the last thing was? She's describing her horrific backstory, which is terrible and says, do you know what the, the emotion everybody felt right before they died? And he says, surprise. And this is exactly the conversation he needs to have and yet fit perfectly with what was going on on the ship. And it was a great, you know, one of those aha moments where he's learned listening to the crew, learning and then reacting. Mm-hmm. And you learned about him, you learned about her, and it feeds into the plot. So it's not just some random aside right? where people are talking about their feelings. It's like, this is relevant to everything. I'm going to tell you about my backstory now and that, and even though it's horrifying, and about the Gorn, of course. Right. I know. Uh, I can't. That's I just any other species would have been fine with me. It's Akiva. He loves the Gorn. I know. I don't. I don't get it. But I okay. Look, look. Were there any tribbles? You didn't get any tribbles. Not yet. It's <laughs> exactly. only a matter of time. I, I know they're going to show up. They just he can't help himself. If you note, there was a weird thing 
where I think they're trying to, where on Pike's pad, it said first contact unconfirmed. Goal. Yep. So I guess that's a hand wave that they're doing. Yeah. Laon wins the tragic backstory contest hands down for sure. For yes. sure. Everyone's got their problems, but uh, yeah, she, I, it's surprising that she's not in constant therapy. Um, well, she's a, she's a toughie. She's, it made her tough and it made her strong. And again, every character for me works beautifully. And she did too. I'm intrigued. I want to know more about each and every one of them. And I like what I've seen about each and every one of them. And she, of course, her caught, you know, her nature is the one where she said, let's put up the shields. And she was right. And she was right, which, you know, I'm always, you know, this has always bothered me about many Starfleet situations and Voyager did this too many times early where you're like, someone should put up the shields now. Yes. This is <laughs> clearly something fishy is going on. Why isn't anyone noticing? Put up the shields, please. Right. And her view was, it's something fishy. We don't know what it is. That's why they should be up. Not yeah. waiting to find out. And I liked the sort of discussion about it where Spock was concerned of how it would be perceived. And she said, no, 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 we got to have them up. And and Pike went with her suggestion. You know, we could go on and on, but there's so much more of the show to come that we could save the rest for our next week because, you know, this podcast is already running late. But, right. this is, I, you know, as a series debut, this is one of the strongest of the Star Trek franchise, I think. Absolutely. It is, it is the best series debut of the Kurtzman era. Uh, the two-part prodigy was also pretty strong, but certainly of the three live action, this is up there with DS9, I think, up there with Emissary. Uh, I mean, Emissary for me, my feeling about Emissary is that it's one of the strongest series premieres of any, of not just Star Trek. Yeah, I it's consider, not as good as Emiss Emissary. Yeah, I consider Emissary a, a high point of television, to be honest. Um, I loved the Voyager pilot, so. Let's put this in between caretaker and emissary it had a nice balance of humor and high stakes and establishing where we are without making us feel like it's everybody's first day you walk away from this you have a sense of who these people are and a sense of what they're out there to do because pike literally told us at the end and a sense of what the show is going to feel like it was a great start to what i think you know I've, I've reviewed did a kind of early review on the side of the first five episodes and so my view is I really like the show and I think everyone who wants an episodic lighter Star Trek show that feels more like classic Star Trek, but is made in a modern way is going to, should be watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And we'll be enjoying it very much. All right. So that's it for this week because we've got so much this week. Uh, we're not going to do our bits of the week, but next week I'm sure we'll have something when we just have one episode of Strange New Worlds to talk about. All right. Well, we'll see you next week.